0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes to contact my broadcast partners across this world. We're going to be talking with them about current events in light of biblical prophecy. These current events seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We're going to Ken Timmerman in a moment. He is in France right now and has just finished harvesting the olive grove, and he's got those olives all stacked up. He said a bumper crop just before we went on the air. I was talking to him. We'll find out how he's doing and get his insight into news in just a moment. I want to tell you that right after the broadcast, Judy and I will leave to drive down to Gadsden, Alabama, the Bellevue Baptist Church. Pastor Roger Graham there welcoming us to a one-day prophecy conference, four services tomorrow, nine thirty, 5 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A in the afternoon, and then the 6 o'clock evening service, the last of the prophecy studies. You need to come and join us. This is an unbelievable time in our world today when you need to understand God's plan for the future, and it's found in the many prophetic passages written by the ancient Jewish prophets. That's the Bellevue Baptist Church, Gadsden, Alabama. Hope to have you come study the prophetic word of God. How difficult, Ken, is it to harvest olives? Is it a, a tough job?
1: Uh, Well, it's not too hard unless you fall off a ladder, Uh, but uh, outside of that, it's a lot of fun when the weather's nice, when it rains and it gets cold, uh, it gets uh, uh, spicier.
0: Now, you didn't fall off the ladder, did you?
1: Well, I had a, just a slight tumble, but, uh, you know, it, it happens. Those things
0: happen. <laughs> hey, take care of yourself, buddy. We need you as a, a man who gives us the insight into current events happening in the geopolitical world. So, you know, you're something else. Two weeks ago, you were in Mosul, Iraq, and reporting there. And I know you have some other articles that you've written about your visit and the Christian community there. One of them in Front Page Magazine, is that correct?
1: That's right. I did a a rather lengthy, detailed assessment of the Nineveh Plain, different villages in the Nineveh Plain, so people could get an idea of what's happening there and and how Christians are slowly beginning to return, and and the problems that they're having returning. They've got water, they've got electricity now, but they have security issues with both the Kurds and these Shabak militias. They are Iranian-backed Shiite Muslim militias that oftentimes are harassing Christians in their own homeland, putting up the black flag of Islam. A stark reminder of ISIS. There's very little difference, Jimmy, uh, if you're a Christian, when you see that black flag between the black flag of ISIS and the black flag of uh, Shia Muslim. They look almost
0: identical. Be sure to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There on the home page, right in the center of the page, are top 10 news stories. One will be written by Ken on his visit to Mosul, Iraq. Well, let's uh, talk about Russia sending a warning to Israel. The Israelis say Russian military soldiers may cause provocative activities in Syria, and they're calling some of the Israelis hotheads. What do we know about that?
1: Well, the Russians are still reeling from uh, the shoot down by Syrian air defense of one of their aircraft and the loss of 15 soldiers a couple weeks ago. They're blaming Israel for that. Uh, the Israelis have not accepted responsibility. They say that they were out of Syrian airspace when that event took place. But since that time, Russia has brought in uh, much more sophisticated air defense systems. They're turning some of them over to the Syrians and and training those Syrian army air defense gunners. So they warning the israelis look don't uh, don't take any pot shots at the syrians right now uh, don't go after their air defenses because our people are co-located with the syrians basically what this is is the russians begging the israelis to be very, very careful and not to go after the new air defense systems that they've given to the Syrian army. Look, we'll wait and see, see what the the Israelis actually do. They've been more concerned, obviously, with Iranian targets in Syria than they have with Syrian targets.
0: Yeah, and is this a break between the Israelis and the Russians, or Israel and Syria?
1: I don't think it's a break. The Israelis still have this hotline where they uh, call up the Russians just before they launch attacks into Syria. But the Russians are definitely, uh, you know, putting out these uh, very stark, very direct warnings to the Israelis. Essentially, moving up that red line that they are telling the Israelis not to cross.
0: Ken, yesterday I got a uh, a Twitter from. Uh, POTUS, President of the United States, Donald Trump, he made the statement that the United States was going to re-implement the sanctions on Iran. And so I guess now that means that the United States and Middle Eastern forces are going to brace for trouble over these new or renewed Iranian sanctions. Well,
1: it's certainly possible, and the Iranians themselves are making a lot of noise about this. They're calling the United States an illegal Power, whereas they are legal and they are respecting the world order. They claim that we are not because these sanctions have not been approved by the United Nations. But the Iranians also know that they will pay a very high price for any direct attack on U.S. forces in the Middle East. Now, they could attack us indirectly. They could, for example, reinforce those Shabak militias that I was telling you about in northern Iraq that are outside of Mosul, that are in the Nineveh plain. They could also conduct provocative actions along the land bridge into Syria and onto the Lebanese border with Israel. There's lots of things that Iran can do. They have many, many military forces throughout the region. I happen to think they're a little bit overextended, but I do not see them launching any kind of direct attack against the U.S. I think they know very well that the price would be very high.
0: And that land bridge you're talking about includes Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, all the way from Iran to the Mediterranean, and that's key for what their plans are for the future.
1: That's correct. Absolutely. And they've been testing that since last December when they opened it for the first time. Uh, We've been talking about that uh, regularly here on this broadcast. You don't hear a lot of people in the national media talk about it, uh, but it's a very important event.
0: You know, Iran has been hit by a computer virus once again. Guess who's being very silent about it? Israel. They probably are, are most responsible.
1: Right. Remember, this is not the first time the Israelis and the United States, we're led to believe, cooperated on a series of computer viruses that attacked the centrifuges of Iran's uranium enrichment program. It's called Stuxnet, and there were other programs as well. This new virus seems to attack infrastructure inside Iran, not just its nuclear facilities, but but overall infrastructure, perhaps telecoms, electricity, things like that. And the little that we know about it from this one Israeli TV report, it would seem to be far more broad-based than Stuxnet was. It doesn't seem to be targeted against one particular facility or group of facilities or even an industry, but it's seeming to go after uh, Iran's power infrastructure and telecommunications overall.
0: Ken, is it serious enough to slow the Iranians down with their plans for the future?
1: Absolutely. I mean, once a virus like this gets into the system and starts to spread, it is very difficult to, uh, to get out. And, and they have to basically buy all new hardware to be sure that some piece of hardware left over has not been infected. It's a, it's a really monumental enterprise to clean the system of this type of thing.
0: Almost every time we get together for a conversation, can we talk about Turkey. It looks like Turkey and Qatar are forming an alliance. Uh, but it, it, the headline said, Under the Saudi Sword. Now, what is that talking about?
1: Well, Turkey and Qatar have long been allied in supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. They worked together in Libya against Gaddafi and supporting the worst of the worst of the jihadi groups. I happen to believe that both Turkey and Qatar played a role in the September 11th 2012 attack on Benghazi that cost the lives of four Americans. Uh, and I wrote about that in my first book, Dark Forces, The Truth About What Happened in Benghazi. But most recently, what's happening is there, there may be a little bit of light now between Turkey and Qatar. They had a very strong alliance with this whole Jamal Khashoggi affair, the Saudi journalist who was murdered when he went into the Saudi consulate in uh, Istanbul, Turkey. There, the Qataris, have not been ganging up on the Saudis like just about everybody else. And so there's some speculation that they might be backing off from their alliance with Turkey. I would really caution you about this. I think this is way, way too early to talk about any kind of rift between Qatar and Turkey. I think what joins them together, which is their support for the Muslim Brotherhood at this point, is far more powerful than what is driving them apart.
0: I don't know if in France you probably have heard about the crowned prince, Mohammed bin Salman, making the statement that kachagi was a, a, a real dangerous guy, and that's one of the reasons that somebody needed to take him out. Have you heard anything on that there?
1: Well, that's not an excuse for cold-blooded murder, especially in a diplomatic facility. Khashoggi was a supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood, the woman that he was planning to marry, and he went into the the consulate to get divorce papers from his previous wife so he could remarry. She's a supporter of the Iranian supreme leader, leader, Ayatollah Khamenei. So Khashoggi was was certainly a, a bad apple, but he was a propagandist more than anything else. You don't go out and murder propagandists in cold blood like that and then dismember them. This was an outrageous act. There's no excuse for it whatsoever. Uh, I don't care how bad he was. Uh, If he's that bad, you bring him back to Saudi Arabia and you put him on trial.
0: Yeah, and uh, they also say that they can't find his body because that was put in chemicals to dissolve the body. I mean, that was just a dastardly act, however you look at it.
1: It really was. And as I say, there's no excuse for it. What's really going to be telling in the coming weeks is whether uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the prince, is able to distance himself in a convincing manner from this uh, act, which seems to have been supported by the Saudi state or, as he would like us to believe, renegade elements within the Saudi
0: state. And we'll stay on top of that story with Ken Timmerman. It's going to have an influence upon the complexion of the entire Middle East. We'll stay with Ken on this very important story. Well, Ken, I guess it's probably too late there in France to go out and harvest any more olives, but appreciate you taking a break to have a conversation with us, and we'll try to do that again next week also.
1: Thanks so much, Jimmy. We'll be out in the morning to finish up, but uh, God bless and look forward to talking to you next week.
0: And don't fall off that ladder, buddy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to get a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Once again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel, along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call
3: 423-821-3635. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the shepherd's fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635 to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here. We're going to, in this short segment, have a conversation with David Dolan. He's the man who gives us a Middle East news update on a weekly basis. Now, this is essential for you who are students of Bible prophecy. The main region of the world that we need to keep a focus on is the Middle East, that's why we need to have David alongside of us. We'll get to David in a moment. I want to remind you right after the broadcast, we go down to Gadsden, Alabama. We'll leave south here out of Chattanooga, head down to the Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden. Pastor Roger Graham is the pastor that's invited us for a one-day prophecy conference. Four services on Sunday, nine thirty, ten forty-five and then at 5 p.m. a prophecy Q&A and at 6 p.m. that's the Bellevue Baptist Church looking forward to having you come and join us there in Gadsden for the purpose of studying the prophetic word of God. Now as promised let's go to David Dolan. David let me talk to you about Russia giving a warning to Israel that if they make any provocative moves in the airspace or with airstrikes in Syria, they may have to face the Russian military. Pretty strong language for the Russians to the Israelis, isn't it?
4: Very much so, Jimmy. That was a senior Russian general who made that comment on Tuesday. He said that hotheads should not resume any operations in Syria, meaning, of course, Israel. He said any provocative actions, as he called it, on Syrian territory would be met by a Russian response. So that is a very, very serious statement. But, Jimmy, it comes after Israel's army spokesman last weekend said that the 34 rockets that were fired from the Gaza Strip in just a 12-hour period on Friday and Saturday came at the orders of the Iranian leader in Syria, General Soleimani, that he ordered his forces, his allied Islamic Jihad forces, in the Gaza Strip to open fire. And Israel said at the time, the army spokesman talked about this, as did the prime minister later on, and they said, we will indeed respond. And in fact, in an off-the-record interview that Prime Minister Netanyahu gave, he hinted that operations are continuing. Maybe not major airstrikes, but he said, we are still on the ground doing things in Syria that we can't talk about, he said, we haven't given up that game. So basically this boils down to what we've seen before, Jimmy, that the Israelis fear that any action in Gaza will be met by a response not just from Gaza, but from Iranian forces in Lebanon and in Syria, and maybe from Iran itself, which is why, in his off-the-record interview, the prime minister said that basically... He is going to continue to push the peace process forward. He's going to continue to support the efforts by Qatar and Egypt and others to bring an end to the violence from the Gaza Strip and not launch a military operation at this time mainly because it would lead to a much larger war they're pretty sure of that and he wants to avoid that at this time so it's a very very serious situation the Egyptians were again in the Gaza Strip on Thursday Egyptian leaders trying to continue these mediation efforts and they said they had an agreement that there would be no trouble this Friday well yesterday there was again rioting in five places along the borders more incendiary devices were sent into Israeli territory. In fact, one on the day before on Thursday landed in the kindergarten while the children were there. The teacher went out and found it. She found that there was a incendiary bomb attached to it, a device meant to explode and obviously maim or kill, so she called the officials and Got the children away from it as much as she could. The same day, a senior political leader in the Israeli political leader in the area, the head of the regional council, drove over one of these balloons that had fallen down onto the road and it was no longer on fire. But what happened is his tires set off the explosive device Hmm. and his car was burnt, destroyed. He got out of it before he was hurt. But again, the violence is continuing while the peace efforts continue. But, Jimmy, it's that Russian threat from the north with Iran that is the main thing on the prime minister's mind, the main thing on Israeli minds. Jimmy, we have a news report from an Israeli outlet that says that Israeli jets are actually right now quietly, secretly taking part. Well, I'm talking about it, and they are too, but in Western military exercises taking part in Ukraine. Now, that's significant because Ukraine possesses the S-300, anti-missile system that Russia has just provided to the Syrians, and that general said this week that they are in the process of training Syrian forces how to operate it. Up till now, Iranian forces have been involved, we've been hearing. But the Israeli jets would therefore, in Ukraine, be able to test their actions, their responses against this S-300. So that is presumably being fired at them, of course, mock without explosives, one would think but in every other way it's exactly like they would be facing in syria if they go back in in a major way with their military forces so all this going on jimmy and stuff going on in iran it's a very very hot situation reports from iran that the a virus was introduced again into their software and their military similar to the Stuxnet virus of a few years ago that israel was deemed to be mainly behind with u.s. support Uh, This has supposedly done some crippling damage. So war efforts, as it were, continue, Uh, while peace talks continue over Gaza, but the violence, again, also continuing. And the prime minister said in that interview, Jimmy, that, you know, we're not so sure a peace deal will work, because even if we agree to one with Hamas, we still have Islamic jihad there. They are under the direct control of Iran and apparently do not want to see an end to the Holy War. And again, if Iran wants to trigger a major war from the Gaza Strip is where it would probably start with Hezbollah and others responding after that.
0: Interesting report, David, that you just gave us about Iran hit by a computer virus once again. And quite noticeably, Israel is staying very silent about this. That's, of course what we would expect them to do. Let me get back to the situation in the Gaza and the entire situation across the Palestinian areas that uh, the Palestinian people somewhat control there in Israel. It looks like the report I'm getting that the Palestinian Authority doing what they can to take control to strengthen areas in Judea and Samaria and along the Jordan Valley. Now, just remind us quickly, if you will, we don't have a lot of time, but uh, why Judea, Samaria, and the Jordan Valley? Why is that key to the Palestinians?
4: Well, of course, it's the biblical heartland, it's the high ground, and it is an area where a lot of Palestinians, over 2 million Palestinians, live. Part of the Oslo Accords, the PA has basic control over the heavily Arab-populated areas. They share control with Israel in other less populated areas, and in some sections, Israel still retains full control. That's particularly around the three large settlement blocks that Israel has in that area. But, Jimmy, the PLO Executive Council on Monday this week voted to basically fully end the peace treaty with Israel, the Oslo Accord. They voted to stop recognition of Israel, and they voted, most importantly, to urge uh, PA security forces to no longer cooperate at all with Israel. Now, this has to be approved by Mahmoud Abbas before it would actually go into effect. But that is the recommendation of the main board of the Palestinian Liberation Organization that is overall in control there in the form of the Palestinian Authority. So another sign that the peace process is breaking apart entirely and that conflict is what's coming.
0: Conflict definitely looks like it's on the way as it relates to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. One of the most unique cities in all the world, Hebron, that is the location of Machpelah Cave, which is the burial site for the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's about 800 Jewish people in Hebron, with about 125 to 150,000 Palestinians there and they've kind of restricted the Israelis from building. Talk to me about uh, the defense minister, Vigdor Lieberman, advancing construction there for new Jewish homes in Hebron.
4: Well, Jimmy, he's determined to see Israel have control in that area. He's not an Orthodox Jew himself, but he's very, very close to Judaism and to the settlers, and he's vowed that he will do everything in his power as a senior cabinet minister to make sure that they not only are staying in the Hebron area but can grow there. So he's, he's advocating that, but Jimmy, Hebron is Judaism's second holiest city, and it will always be that. It is the place where the patriarchs and matriarchs are mostly buried, and the uh, Jews want to be there. They want to pray there. That's logical. They've been there for two thousand years. One of the last remaining Jewish communities uh, in the land was there over the centuries, and uh, they're back, and they're not going to go anywhere as far as they're concerned.
0: And in fact, that location, the first Jewish location, dating back about 4,000 years ago when Abraham established his home ground there. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, is a key region if you're studying Bible prophecy to understand where we are in God's plan. David, always a great report. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week.
4: You're welcome, Jimmy. God
0: bless. We're going to take a quick break here on Prophecy Today, then go to John Rood. He covers the European Union for us, another important region. This is all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Christians in the Last Days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. So glad you could continue along with us, continuing to talk with our broadcast partners. For example, we have John Rood standing by. He's got a European Union update for us. And then I'm going to bring to these microphones Brandon House. He has his own national radio broadcast. And in fact, I'm one of his broadcast partners every Friday. We get together and I give a Middle East news update to him and then we go to Prophecy Q&A on his broadcast. Well, he has a brand new movie out. It's entitled Sabotage and I want you to hear all about it, some of the insight we can give you into the movie, how to get a copy of it, etc. After we finish with John, we go to Brandon House and then Jim Jr. has some prophecy questions for us from our listeners. That's this half hour. We've got a third one, and you'll be able to get all the information you need looking at current events if you stay for all three. Right after the broadcast, Judy and I leave, we go over to Gadsden, Alabama, the Bellevue Baptist Church there. Roger Graham is the pastor. We're going to have a great one-day prophecy conference. We're going to have four services all day Sunday, 9.30 in the morning, the first service, then 10.45, 5 o'clock in the evening for prophecy Q&A, and the evening service at 6 p.m., That's the Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama. Hope you can come and join us as we study Bible prophecy this weekend. Well, John, I'm going to finally get to you. Uh, During the break I was talking with John, I found out that his brother is a master violinist there in New York City, and one of the best probably in the world. I said to John, I said, John, do you play a musical instrument? He said, yeah, guitar, but not as good as my brother. Well, you do a great job for us giving us information about the European Union, John. And let me talk to you about an article that I read about the synagogues in Europe. Now, there's much concern about what's going on with the rise of anti-Semitism, not only across the entire European Union, but the world, in fact, and here in the United States, with the dastardly act of killing 11 Jews in Pittsburgh synagogue, the Tree of Life synagogue there. Now, the European synagogues are like a fortress, Probably it's going to follow then on to the United States for the same thing. But uh, are the Jews there in Europe, John, fearing for their life because of this attack in Pittsburgh?
5: There's always been a, a history of anti-Semitism in Europe. And, of course, there's been huge terrorist attacks and so forth. And so through these last decades in Europe, they have really incorporated a very multi layered security system for the synagogues and Jewish sites, for example. In Brussels, the Jewish Museum was attacked in 2014. Four people were killed. And soldiers on the street are are a common occurrence in Brussels. Actually, Molenbeek, which has been the hotbed for the area where many of the terrorists have been coming from, is just a stone's throw from the very center of Brussels. So there has been a lot of reaction, certainly. I do agree that in the United States, there'll be a tendency now to incorporate what would be more a European model of security, which has been there for a long, long time. The very first time that I landed in Brussels, to my surprise of walking off the plane, my first sight was a guard with a machine gun. Of course, Hmm. you're quite used to that traveling in the Middle East. This was 1982, and then I had learned that there had been an attack on an LL uh, airplane in Brussels as well. So I think there's a very realism in Europe as a whole. The Jewish sites are highly protected, and it's been something that's continued for many, many years it does appear that they'll take some time and a great deal of expense to up the security in the United States after this horrific event.
0: Yes, and that's probably exactly what they're even doing right now, just a short time after this dastardly attack there in Pittsburgh. Well, staying in the European Union, of course, that's what our focus is with John Rood. Uh, There's a different type of complexion for the European Union. There's a divide between the East and the West over, for example, religious minorities and gay marriage and national identity. Is this dividing up the European Union similar to how it is dividing America?
5: One of the largest divisions in the European Union is the East and the West. But, of course, we have the EU is remarked by these fissures and uh, iron and clay tensions the East and the West, the North and the South, Euro-nations, non-Euro, richer, poorer nations, larger population nations with smaller population nations, and also nations that have any inclination towards being pro-United States. That's a division as well. Uh, East and the West is probably one of the most pronounced divisions at, at this particular time. Yes, they have taken a much more conservative view, they perceive themselves in the Eastern countries and Central Europe to that Christianity can be an identity for their nation. When it comes to issues like same sex marriage, most, the majorities of all the Western European countries are in favor, while the majorities of all the Central and Eastern European countries are opposing. And then, as well, most, this is probably the most startling look at the subject. Is that 20 of 24 European Union countries that were surveyed, they identify as Christians the majority, mm-hmm. more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And this this is very important. In Belgium, I was wondering how to reach people, and I, I believe it was an inspired idea to actually write a tract, a gospel tract I called Make a Decision for Jesus Christ, because I thought to myself, are these people for or against Jesus? If I asked them, if I took a poll, they would say for. That's what this has uh, as well fortified here. And yet, even though they believe in Jesus, they have not made a decision. Mm -hmm. So I believe that was a good inroad, and that particular track ended up being uh, more than a quarter million that were printed. as very simple. You can put them into the mailboxes in Europe. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to put a stamp.
0: Yeah, we did that in Israel as well, because everybody has a post office box. They don't deliver the mail in Israel. So we just went to the central post office and asked them to put in each and every one of the post office boxes a track in Hebrew. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a great way to get the gospel out. Praise the Lord. Let the government pay for the delivery of the track. That's good. I understand that Angela Merkel has made a decision. She's not going to run for the next election. She'll finish out this term and then not run for re-election. I'm just wondering, her decision on immigration a couple of years ago, did that spark this crisis that has sealed her fate as far as being a European leader? And is it going to be a person missed because of what has happened?
5: Angela Merkel has now officially recognized that she will not run in the, the next elections, 2021, nor be the head of her party. And certainly, yes, the refugee crisis has been the, the major issue, and it brought both her party and the opposition party against her. And so probably one of the biggest questions is, how will this affect the balance in europe which you know is sort of on a precipice at all times who will be her successor and then of course we have the the french president emmanuel macron who has been positioning himself but he may not be able to uh, be able to fill uh, these shoes so it's again it's another uncertainty the refugee crisis the the migration issues and also the eurozone crisis Uh, They're all still here. They're not going away, and Angela Merkel will be backing out.
0: Yeah, Macron. I was going to ask you, our time has run out, about the strategy that he is implementing. His goal is to reshape the fractured European Union. So your statement about him wanting to move up the ladder and become the leader of the European Union, somewhat uh, the position Angela Merkel has had is in his sight. I don't know, like you say, if he's going to be able to make it. Well, we've been listening to John Root. He's a man who covers the European Union for us, lived there for over 30 years, actually, in the headquarters for it, Brussels, Belgium. We so appreciate John coming to this broadcast table each and every week. John, thank you so much. Oh, by the way, John's son is going to get married down in Florida after we get finished with the broadcast. He heads out to fly to Florida and uh, may you have a great family time together on this marriage, John.
5: Thank you so very much. Appreciate it.
0: We're going to see you next week. Get it all ready when we come back together next week. Will do. Very important report from the European Union, John Rood, giving us that information. You know, he's lived in Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years. That's the headquarters for the EU, and it's key because he knows the players, he knows the geography and everything else. He can keep us updated on a key region of the world, prophetically, it's the infrastructure at least for the revived Roman Empire. Well, we're going to bring a broadcast partner to the table now. I'm his broadcast partner every Friday, and I'm talking about Brandon House. He has Worldview Weekend, and that program goes across the United States. I'm the one privileged to be able to give him a Middle East news update every Friday, Sometimes we chase some rabbits, but it's always good rabbit chasing. (laughs) By that I mean we get on some other subjects, but we have a great time dealing with current events, and that's always a great conversation between Brandon and myself. Brandon, great to have you as my broadcast partner today. I heard you had a fall conference, and You looked at security here in the United States. You had some major players that were there and live out of your studios across the United States and, in fact, around the world. But what I'm calling you for is your brand new movie. I watched the trailer yesterday, and that's a 15-minute trailer. Now, normally a trailer is, I guess, for five minutes, but, man, I was glued to it for 15 minutes. And it's somewhat a similar theme to your conference on security, is it not, the new movie? It is, and thank
6: you for having me, Dr. DeYoung. Yes, it is. It's called Sabotage, and they can watch the trailer that you watched. They just go to sabotagethemovie.com, sabotagethemovie.com. And the subtitle is The Islamists and Marxists and Their Useful Idiots, Destroying America from Within. That term, useful idiots, is not calling someone a name. That's an historical term used by Lenin. He said that uh, he would use what he called useful idiots, people who preferred sound over sense, and that he would promise them things, and that they would use their position as journalists, fake news, media for an information operation, the intelligentsia in the uh, education establishment to brainwash young people all the way from elementary schools to uh, the universities. So they would use their position to bring about a revolution, thinking they would get some of the power. But historically, they were the first ones to go, because when they didn't get any power, they'd start screaming and hollering, and then they would be eliminated or hauled off to, to a camp or a prison. So they were referred to by Lenin as useful idiots. And we have many of them today, in the media, the fake news, in our educational establishment, intelligentsia, and sadly even in the religious establishment. And, of course, the movie Sabotage looks at how the communists have set out to hijack religion and churches and u- Christian colleges and universities and seminaries going all the way back to the 1930s. In fact, Walter Rauschenbusch, the father of the social gospel movement, said that socialism will not work in an irreligious country. And he helped start the Federal Council of Churches. It became the National Council of Churches. And he started it with a known Marxist, Harry Ward, who was known as Harry the Red Ward. Well, today we have a red-green axis, the Marxist and now the Islamist. And they've showed up on the scene working together across the globe and now here in America to destroy their shared enemy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they're going to work together in this red-green axis. Red representing Marxism, green, the Islamic flag of many Muslim nations. Iran has green in their flag. Saudi Arabia has green in their flag. Muslim Brotherhood has green in their flag. All uh, oh, we could just go right down the list. There's so many of them that have green in their flag, and that re- represents those Islamic states. And we see one of the leaders of CARE, which is a front group for Muslim Brotherhood that was involved in the Holocaust. Uh, we see the leader of one of the leaders of CARE stating a few years ago that's in the movie Sabotage, that Black Lives Matter is now our matter. Black Lives Matter is our campaign. Well, that's interesting, because Black Lives Matter was founded by two communist, openly admitted queers. That's not a pejorative. That's not calling someone a name. That's the label they wear today. LGBTQ, some say the Q is for questioning, some say it's for queer. These gals identify as communist queers that started Black Lives Matter, and they're using race, and they're using class warfare, anything they can to create chaos and confusion and to destroy America from within. And now Muslim Brotherhood, with their terrorist division, Hamas, has said they're joining. And we, could, we show throughout the entire film where there is this axis of the Islamist and the Marxists, working in concert together inside America to destroy our country from within. And sadly, you have even well-known so-called evangelical leaders giving them cover by joining on to things like the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable, funded by George Soros, to bring illegals into America, and the Marxists have openly admitted on video, as you will see in the movie Sabotage, that if they can get these... 12 million, which we've now been told is 20 million illegals register to vote. They can win every election and have a Marxist revolution in America, just like they did in the Czech Republic without firing a shot in 1948.
0: I was going to mention just a moment ago, I was talking about what I found very interesting is the actual testimony of Islamic peoples here in America with one goal, to take over America, no matter what they may have to do to do it, through the government, through the church, uh, through society, whatever. They are ready now to take over America, and their plan is in operation.
6: Oh, absolutely. If you go and watch the trailer... Uh, at sabotage SabotageTheMovie.com, you'll see it starts out with a lady in her hijab in speaking. She's with a women's organization that's part of Muslim Brotherhood, which again was started in 1928. As you well know, Dr. DeYoung was involved in the final solution of the Holocaust with uh, the Grand Mufti of Palestine, al-Husseini. Well, she's with that group, and in 1989, she spoke, and that footage is in the documentary and in the trailer, and she's stating that we are here not to assimilate, We are here to turn Americans into Muslims. Mm. We are here to use the power of the education system across the country, getting in textbooks, teaching the Quran in American schools, teaching Arabic in the American schools. The thing she says in 1989 on C-SPAN, if you saw it in 1989, you would have laughed and said, that never will happen here, lady. Well, sure enough, Sabotage, the movie, shows you that it has indeed happened, and we even show you that the Federal Department of Education is now openly funding Islamic curriculum in America schools, uh, teaching the kids Islam just as this woman said they were going to do in 1989. So many of the things they predicted have come true. We show it in the film, which is part of the whole uh, premise of the film in one of the sections, and it's broken into multiple chapters. So we deal with information operation, propaganda war, how the fake news media has portrayed the issues, distorted them. Uh, We show how they've done this for years, how they did this with Vietnam, thanks to people like Morley Safer, Walter Cronkite. They totally lied to the American people. They distorted what the troops were doing over there. They made it like they were just over there burning down the innocent huts of villagers when they were really fighting the communists, and the communists were taking up residence in these huts and shooting from there and digging in trenches and spider holes and bungee pits, very much like they do to Israel today. The jihadis will shoot from a school, empty school or a hospital, and then the Israeli defense goes in there and and blows that thing up with a drone strike or a, a, a missile, and the media screams and hollers that they blow up a school or a hospital. Well, yep. it was empty, number one, but they were shooting from that. Well, that's the exact same thing they were doing in Vietnam. They were shooting from uh, villages like Cam Ne and taking round and dying. Marines were dying, and yet Morley Safer walked in in 1965, August Sixty-five and declares that this is Vietnam in miniature, just raising, burning down and raising the, the homes of innocent villagers. That's a total 100% lie, and that's the information operation that's going on today. And the way we lost the Vietnam War was through an information operation, and the communists spent over a billion dollars, admitted by a former high-ranking military officer in the USSR, who defected, and he wrote a book called Through the Eyes of the Enemy. He admitted that the USSR spent $1 billion in America buying broadcasters, buying journalists to brainwash the American people, turn their hearts against defeating communism, and now we see that China and Russia was behind that Vietnam War. They treat us like a paper tiger. They walk all over us. And what are we doing now with Islam? Same thing. The fact that these people can boast like they're boasting about taking over shows that we are moving to the upper house of Islam. They are moving from the lower house to the upper house, and they are now going from uh, Sharia defense, the Sharia implementation, and America can kiss goodbye their freedoms if this isn't stopped
0: quickly. Well, I just need to help everybody realize we can't review a six-hour film in about 13 <laughs> minutes, so we're just barely touching the, the hem of the garment as we think about this film. Tell us that uh, address one more time before I let you go.
6: SabotageTheMovie.com.
0: SabotageTheMovie.com. Brandon, uh, best of luck in the sales on this, but this is not really a luck situation because you've labored hard at putting this together for the purpose of informing, especially the body of Christ, but Americans as well, on this very, very provocative issue. Thank you, my good friend. Hey, we'll see you next on the radio and your broadcast. Thank you, sir. Right now, we're going to have Jim Jr. come to the broadcast table. He's got some questions from the audience of Prophecy Today Weekend. They have a prophecy question I'm going to endeavor to answer from God's Word. Nancy sends in a
3: question. She says, how can Adam, and this is probably in reference to your statements about the Temple Mount, how can Adam have been created on the Temple Mount and the center of the Garden of Eden be there too? The Bible said Adam was created and then placed to the east in Eden. It seems he may have been created on the Temple Mount, but then moved to the Garden of Eden in the plains of Shinar, but cannot have been created there and
0: it be the center of the Garden too. Well, Nancy, I have a question for you. You're telling me that I don't know where the Garden of Eden is and where Adam was created according to the Word of God, but then you make a statement in your question, it seems that he may have been created on the Temple Mount, but uh, then moved to the Garden of Eden in the plains of Shinar. Now, you're supposing that the Garden of Eden is located in the plains of Shinar, number one, and number two, that he was indeed created on the Temple Mount and then moved over there. We don't have any information As to that being the case, you said the Bible says something. You said the Bible said Adam was created and then placed to the east of Eden. Well, let me read from the scriptures exactly what the Bible does say. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden. And in the King James Bible, which I have in my hand, says eastward in Eden. Now, I was confused when I read that verse because in order to understand From where eastward would be to Eden, I have to have a source of a starting point, and I don't have a starting point there. So I went to Strong's Concordance, and I found out the word in Hebrew, gadim, not only means eastward, in fact, that is one of its translations, but most of the time, that word gadim is translated before time, or aforetime. And so then I went back and read the verse like this, and the Lord God planted a garden before in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed well when did the lord create the garden of eden it was on the third day of creation when you go back to genesis chapter 1 which records the six days of creation starting in verse 9 you see and the lord god said let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so and god planted or called the dried land earth and he gathered together of the waters and called them seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 11 of Genesis chapter 1, the record of the third day of creation. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit, after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. God created the Garden of Eden on the third day of creation. Chapter 2 would be further details as it relates to chapter 1. You see, having chapter 1, creation of man, chapter 2, the details are the information which is additional help to understanding chapter 1, chapter 3, the fall of man. And that would be the first three chapters. We can go through the first 12 chapters of Genesis. I'll not do it because of time today. Uh, But he created on the third day the Garden of Eden, and then on the sixth day, which is what chapter 2 tells us, he created man, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden that was already there, not eastward of the Temple Mount. It doesn't say anything about the Temple Mount. Judaism, and all the scholarship in Orthodox Judaism, says that that stone underneath that gold dome building, the Dome of the Rock, is the foundation stone. That's the location where Adam was created by God actually by Jesus Christ Colossians one sixteen says by him by Jesus Christ were all things created. So Temple Mount is the center of the Garden of Eden. and I think that it is very important that we study the Word but understand what the Word of God is saying to us by the way you're saying then if I understand your question there, Nancy that the Garden of Eden, it would be in the plains of Shinar. Well, that's the location of Babylon. That will be the headquarters for the Antichrist in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Uh, You might consider that uh, Shinar would be the location between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, but that has nothing to do where the Garden of Eden is. you go back to chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 10, it says, One river came out of the Garden of Eden to water the garden, and from thence, someplace outside the Garden of Eden, uh, that one river, which would be the Gihon River, which is talked about in the Bible in six locations. First Kings chapter 1 would be the first where King David wanted to anoint his son Solomon to be king. He sent his servant down to the Gihon to get some water so he could anoint his son Solomon to become king of Israel. That's the one river in the garden of eden we have a a great great study on return to eden and jimmy in fact has a video project that he's working on very intently right now and that is entitled return to eden but if you'd like to get our 5 hour study to get more in-depth information about the true location of the garden of eden you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and ask them or get the information from our shopping mall about Return to Eden. It'll be great help for you to understand where truly the Garden of Eden is. By the way, Nancy, thank you for asking that question. We always appreciate questions that will help us all learn more. Because, Nancy, I have to tell you, every time I get a question from somebody, I need to freshen up my thinking uh, you know exactly what is the word of God talking about and I did that and in- Light of your questions, so appreciate your help along that line, Nancy.
3: Nancy, thank you for taking the time to send in that question, and Dad, thank you for using Scripture to back up every answer that you gave us, uh, helping us to really to understand what the Word of God says, and using that to clear up an age-old question of where is the Garden of Eden. By the way, we have a package deal that would be perfect for early Christmas shopping, and in this package deal. The video, Return to Eden, along with five other great videos, are available. Again, you can go to our Prophecy Today bookstore and click on Return to Eden, and you can order that, or call our offices at 423-825-6247. Well, we have to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. DeYoung will be having a conversation with David James, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
0: Hi, everybody, welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is the last of the three half hours that I need each week, 90 minutes in total, to help you understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. One more broadcast partner, David James, by the way, he is in Israel and he's leading our tour over there. In a moment, David and I will talk about a very interesting report coming out about the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Keep the dial set right where it is. I'd like to invite you to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There you'll find my poll question. It's on the home page on the left-hand column. If you'll scroll down, you'll find it near the bottom. And here's the poll question. Love to have your answer to it. The question do you believe that the Islamic world wants to take over the government of the United States as a part of the Islamic dominion of this world? And will they do it before the prophetic scenario that is found in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11 is actually fulfilled? Now, that's the poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. You'll find the poll question there. We'd love to have you answer that poll question. It gives us information that we want to follow up with on our broadcasting planning so we'll know what to teach as it relates to the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word. Right after this broadcast, Judy and I are going to drive down to Gadsden, Alabama. We'll be at the Bellevue Baptist Church all day Sunday. Pastor Roger Graham has invited us for a one-day prophecy conference. I think and when a pastor will give up his Sunday to have me teach Bible prophecy that is a key time at the church. I'm honored that I've been invited by Pastor Graham to do that at the Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama. We have four services tomorrow. We begin at 9:30 in the morning, then 10:45, stop for lunch, and at 5 o'clock, we have a prophecy Q&A session, and my teaching, my last teaching, will take place beginning at 6 p.m. Come and join us as we study Bible prophecy. It's a key time in history today to understand God's plan for the future. That's the Bellevue Baptist Church, Gatston, Alabama. Also want to remind you of our School of Prophets that's coming up the second week of the month of December, 11, 12, and 13. You know what? We're going to do something a bit different this time. We're going to have some of our students, one of them has already received his doctorate, The other two are candidates for their doctorate, and they are going to be giving us some of the insight into their studies over the years. You don't want to miss that. It's a part of a program for our School of Prophets, and I'm going to be teaching through 22 books of the Bible, and I'm going to show you prophecy in each of those books. And when we finish this course, you'll see prophecy in all 66 books of the Bible. You can find information about the School of Prophets conference. It's at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. It's that time in the broadcast and this part of the week for us to have a conversation with David James. We look at issues that confront the Christians, the body of Christ, to understand how we should approach looking at the rest of the world. It's developing a world view. We're going to be talking about a study by Israeli scientists which seems to affirm that gender is deeply rooted in in biology. This past Sunday, David, the Israeli Times cited a study by a group of Israeli scientists into gender differences and connected the results of the study to transgender issues. Talk to us about that article.
7: Right. The uh, title of the article, the headline, was Israeli researchers debunk transgender craze at sweeping America. I find that, actually, I find the headline uh, a little bit misleading, because as I dug into the research myself, I found out that this was not the point of the article at all. Actually, uh, these were geneticists from Israel's Wiseman Institute of Science, and they discovered that certain genes are only expressed in women while others are only expressed in men, and ultimately they were looking for the causes of certain diseases to see which genetic factors actually caused the prevalence of certain diseases in women versus the prevalence of certain other diseases in men. They did find that there were around 6,500 genes that were biased toward one sex or another, So it is important research, but, you know, I find it a little bit unfortunate that both CBN and Israel Today chose to take it in a direction that wasn't really the intention of the scientists.
0: Well, even though the purpose of the research by the Wiseman Institute wasn't actually to debunk the transgender issue would you not say there are some very important conclusions and implications that are relevant to the discussion of gender identity?
7: Well, I would say definitely that there are, and so even though, as you said, this wasn't the purpose of the scientists, there are things that we need to understand and things that wouldn't be surprising. You know, there are those who claim to be transgender, say that they are a woman trapped in a man's body or a a man trapped in a woman's body. However, one of the things that we know, and this study would support the idea that gender isn't rooted solely in the mind it's deeply rooted in both the mind and the body, and the mind and the body are inseparably connected with the even the biochemical processes of our brains and the various aspects of physiology and biology that have to do with our, our conscience and many other things. And I think we could even go beyond this to say that God has actually matched our physiology, our physical bodies, to the gender of our soul. You know, we aren't simply a spirit that has a body, but The Bible makes it very clear that we are living souls and that we have material and immaterial aspects. And we don't know the mechanics of how the material and immaterial are connected together. But I think by God's design, as I said, our physiology is matched to the gender of our soul. And that comes into being the moment that we are conceived.
0: And of course, this is what we would expect, because in the scriptures, we find that God created the animals in pairs with just two genders, and he also created humans in the same way.
7: Well, that's right. And we find this in two very clear accounts, one with regard to the animals. Now in Genesis chapter 1, it says that uh, God created animals, each one after its own kind, and so it doesn't really talk about gender of animals there in Genesis 1, but it does in Genesis chapter 6, leading up to the the flood in verse 18 of Genesis 6, God says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with you. of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you they shall be male and female so here we have a clear distinction between two and only two genders there aren't three genders or four genders this is goes back to the original design then going back to Genesis 1 concerning men and women we read this in verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them so I would argue this that God is neither male nor female, even though he certainly presents himself as masculine, and consistently so throughout the scriptures. But I would say as finite beings, that it's men and women together that most fully express the image of God. And we see this even emphasized at the end of chapter 2, where in verse 24, where we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one and as that relates to both the homosexual issue and the transgender issue, even though society may pass laws making it legal to recognize a marriage between a man and a woman, in the eyes of God, they cannot be a true covenant relationship marriage because two men and two women can never come together to be that one flesh so that they reflect together the one flesh image of God.
0: David, this week a Baptist News Global article came out showing that the cultural war over this issue is still raging as the Southern Baptist in Arkansas became the first state convention to endorse what is known as the Nashville Statement on Biblical Sexuality.
7: Well, that's right. The Southern Baptist Convention met together, and they passed a resolution declaring without equivocation their complete agreement with the Nashville Statement. Now, the Nashville Statement was put together by both the Southern Baptist Convention as well as other evangelical leaders in Nashville, Tennessee, and they said that homosexuality and transgender identity are sinful and claims that belief as non-negotiable for Bible-believing Christians. And so they would say that the Bible does not not leave room for people to identify as both Christian and gay. So we would certainly understand that this would be a major step within the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, and it is being reflected in the, the, uh, the various state conventions, which are somewhat autonomous from the overall convention.
0: I recall that a while back when we were discussing this issue, you brought out what I thought was a great point that tends to put this into a proper perspective, and that has to do with the resurrection of the body.
7: Well, we understand that the first resurrection will be at the rapture of the Church Uh, before the Great Tribulation period, that will be the first phase of the first resurrection, when the believers from the Church Age are resurrected and we receive our glorified body, and then the second phase would be at the second coming of Christ for Old Testament saints, and that will be the resurrection of the body. So all believers will have a resurrection into a physical body, but we also know there is a second resurrection spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 in conjunction with the Great White Throne Judgment, And so unbelievers will also be resurrected in a physical body. So that means that no matter what somebody might do to their body, for example, uh, taking hormones to alter their physical appearance or even going through sex reassignment surgery to alter their physical bodies, the fact is this, that they are conceived and they are the gender that they are when they were born. Their DNA, their genetics uh, correspond to that gender. And at the resurrection whatever has been done to our physical bodies, whether they be tattoos or any other modification, the fact is we will be resurrected with the physical gender that we had at birth. And so we will spend all eternity with the gender that corresponds to what came into being at conception. So we don't hear this discussion very often, but I think it's a very important question, especially as it relates to Christians who think that they can uh, sidestep or go against what God has given through uh, the natural conception process.
0: David, biblically, the fact that we need to deal with this from time to time is just one more indication that we're moving deeper and deeper into the last days.
7: Well, I would agree 100%. We've talked about this before, and I think it was even highlighted by a New York Times uh, article where they point out that a prominent Anglican cleric and gay rights campaigner has now made a statement that he is praying that they should pray and urge his prayers for Prince George, that is the son of William and Kate, for him to find a fine young gentleman, in other words, to pray that he would realize that he is gay. This is horrendous, and this is what we would expect when we read Romans chapter 1, which describes what I call the death spiral of humanity, where it says, in beginning in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness Of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And as you move down to verse 24, we find that the bottom of this downward spiral, this death spiral, is where God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, and talks about men with men and women with women. And we know this, every time in history when you've reached the bottom of this death spiral of a civilization, a nation, or mankind as a whole, the next thing uh, on the count calendar is a judgment for that group of people and ultimately the entire world.
0: And may I exhort all those eavesdropping on this conversation. Go back and and take a moment, sit down, relax, and read Romans chapter 1, a key chapter that relates not only to this issue, but the end times as well. David, great research, great uh, interaction together. Appreciate it so much. We'll have another conversation next week, buddy.
7: Thanks so much, Jimmy.
0: Looking forward to seeing you here in Chattanooga for the conference upcoming. And go to my website, prophecytoday.com, for more information about the School of Prophets conference here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Come and join us, if you will. Well, I'm going to have to take a break right now. When I come back, I'm going to take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Today Once
2: again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel, along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call 423-821-3635.
0: It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. I'm so glad that you gave us 90 minutes this week to hear what our broadcast partners had to report and, of course, their insight into the current events that we were discussing. They're happening in this world today, and they are evidence that the prophetic scenario for the future is coming into place quickly and that prophecy is about to be fulfilled. Thus, it is a must that you are knowledgeable of the events that fit into this prophetic scenario, unfolding, coming better into focus in our world, so that you'll be able to understand the times in which we are living. Now, if you missed any of these reports, or you have a friend or a family member that you think should hear these reports, let me tell you how to be able to go to our website and find these reports that have been archived. Our website address, prophecytoday.com, and then when you get on my website, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There, you'll be able to listen to any and all of my broadcast partner's reports for today. Now, however, let me take a few moments as we conclude our broadcast for this week, as I give you a prophetic perspective on all the news reported by our broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman was in southern France, and we talked about Russia warning Israel not to provoke Syria. How ironic is that? It looks like Syria, Iran, and in fact, Russia are provoking Israel. It's the Jewish state that will be the focus of an alignment of nations, which will come against this state and try to destroy it. How many times have we heard Bashar Assad, who is president of Syria now, saying that he is going to take back the Golden Heights? You might remember it was the Six-Day War in 1967 when Bashar Assad's father, Hafez al-Assad, went after Israel, tried to keep the Golan Heights, the Israelis pushed them back across the border into Syria, and at that time set up a buffer zone between Israel and Syria. When you look at God's prophetic word, just look at Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, where it says the king of the north, the king of the north is actually geographically modern day Syria. So Syria will make the first move to try and destroy the Jewish state of Israel, and they will enter Israel through the Golden Heights. All the other players are in line there in Syria as well. Turkey, Iran, Russia, and Syria massed there at the northern border of Israel to actually fulfill the prophecy and endeavor to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. David Dolan gave me a report from the Middle East, a journalist that is par excellence when it comes to keeping us up to date on the latest Middle East news, but has great insight because of his experience in that region of the world. We talked about the headline with David Dolan, the Palestinians are reinforcing their Palestinian areas in Judea, Samaria, and the Jordan Valley. Now, that is key. If you do not understand Judea and Samaria, take a map out, focus on the city of Jerusalem. Everything that is south of Jerusalem, that is Judea. Everything north of Jerusalem would be Samaria. Now, that's their biblical name. We often hear it referred to as the West Bank. That's not the West Bank of Israel. That's the eastern side of the Jewish state. It's the West Bank for Jordan. But the Palestinians control that center part, the belly part of the state of Israel. Hamas is located in the Gaza Strip. That would be in Judea. And, of course, the other faction of the Palestinian Authority, that would be Fatah, headed up by Mahmoud Abbas. He's headquartered in Ramallah, which is in Samaria, as it relates to the biblical terminology for these areas. The Palestinian people actually say that it is the occupied territories that the Israelis have been occupying for a number of years. The Jewish people would not say it's occupied territories. They would agree it's disputed territories, and if they could ever get to the peace table and negotiate, they might see who is going to get what part of the state of Israel after those negotiations are completed. I can tell you what the Bible says about the Palestinians. They will come back to power. They will return, and they will rebuild. That's Malachi chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 35 talks about them coming into the land. They're referred to there as people living in Mount Seir. Now, that's the lower third of modern-day Jordan. That's the location where Petra is, and that's where the Palestinians, Edomites of biblical times, went to occupy the area when the Lord sent the Palestinian people, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, out of the promised land into southern Jordan to Petra. You can understand when you read the prophetic passages of God's Word how this is all coming together. The little book of Obadiah concludes this entire scenario for the destruction of the Palestinian people as if they have never been. John Rood joined us at the broadcast table with his European Union update. He talked about the synagogues in the European Union which have become fortresses. They're fighting the anti-Semites, which is growing by leaps and bounds on a daily basis in Europe, but they are leading the way in preparing to protect themselves from what will ultimately become a second Holocaust, which is recorded and foretold in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8, when it is referring to the time during the tribulation when two out of every three Jews will be killed. Rannan House joined us, his new movie entitled Sabotage, and it's an effort by the Islamists to take over the world, and in particular, the United States. If you re-listen to that, you'll get the location where you can go watch their trailer and order this six-hour movie. Our son Jim at the broadcast table with questions from our listeners, and if you have a question you'd like to have us answer, send it to Jim Junior at Prophecy Today. Com. All of these reports given by our broadcast partners on this program today is actually evidence that God's prophetic plan is getting closer and closer to fulfillment. But let me remind you, before any of these prophecies are fulfilled, the rapture of the church will take place. That's the next prophecy to be fulfilled. And that rapture could actually happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up on 2. Thank you so
2: much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.